Hi guys, welcome to Mind Over Matter, brought to you by Race the Minds. Within this podcast, we discuss ways various people overcome mental barriers and negative mindset to achieve their goals using the power of sport and exercise. I caught up with the guys from On Shoulders of Giants just before they set off on their journey to La Gomera to prepare for the start of the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge 2020, which starts on the 12th of December. We discuss how they are feeling, how training has gone during the summer and also how the global pandemic has played a part in the preparations in getting to the start line. So let's get to it and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back on Shoulders of Giants to Mind Over Matter. How are you doing guys? Yeah, very well. Very well, thank you. So it's been a few months and you've had the summer period since we last spoke. So first first and foremost, how are you guys doing? It's been busy. There's been an awful lot to, to get on with. I think particularly, yeah, the run up to shipping the boat was a sort of real crunch time. A lot of pulling things together, making sure that we had all of the appropriate kit and all of those things. And for me right now, I don't know about the other guys, just buzzing to get out there. I think just ready to ready to get there and make it happen. Yeah, I think so. I think that shipping of the boat was a real key milestone for us. Suddenly, everything we've been working towards over the, the two months prior was was about getting everything on the boat, being good on the boat, and then suddenly now the boat's not there, and, and that was a, a big moment. And so it's it's just been about continuing to get ready physically and continue with some fundraising bits, and, and there's still a few logistical bits to touch base on. But yeah, it was, it was a big moment that, and now it's hugely exciting, and a lot of the conversations turn to what happens after we start the race as opposed to everything to get us up to the race start so yeah really excited so i imagine as he said shipping the boat was one of the big milestones how long ago did you actually ship the boat now because obviously you haven't been able to do any on water training i guess where you actually get a feel for the boat feel for being out on the ocean whereas i guess you're back on the static rowing machines and everything like that now are you yeah we shipped the boat on the 25th of october uh, so we've been back on the erg we've been having erg training sessions throughout our time but the amount of erg training sessions has picked up recently because the on water stuff has completely stopped as, as you rightly say and yeah look we missed the boat uh, there's nothing like getting out on the boat from an experience perspective or a training perspective but we'll be reunited with the boat in about 10 days so uh, not long it'll be an emotional time will it when you see that boat again we'll all be glad to see it again as dan says ultimately the thing that you're training for is to be on the water and so being on the water is really good fun and the other thing is being on the water was the time that we spent together as as a group of four of us and I mean, I don't think it's too too soft to say sort of miss seeing the boys because actually since the boat shipped, we haven't all seen each other apart from via Zoom link or something like that because of lockdown. But also you're getting on with your day to day. The majority of our training is individual kind of in the gym or on the erg, as you say. So actually, one of the really lovely things about the boat being there is that the four of us would get together most weekends down in Limington and spend some time doing what it is that we'd been training for. I guess it's it's nice to keep that bond with you. I know you're, you're all quite close anyway, but it's quite a nice thing to be able to have that bond when you're all together as a group. It sort of helps if anyone's struggling with any sort of like mental barriers or any struggling with certain things, you can all talk it through and get a plan in, in place to be able to iron out any niggles that anyone has. 
as I said, it was back in July when we last spoke. So in proper detail. So how's the training been? How have you been finding it? Has anyone come up against any toughness or any injuries or anything like that at all? You know, it is it is an, a, a sort of an attritional sport, if you like. You know, you're chipping away, and so I think everyone's had their little little knocks and, and aches and things. But luckily, touch wood, nothing nothing that's that stopped us being able to to sort of train too significantly so that's been really um really positive we we did a really good set of training rows through the summer and, and one of them was a three-day um row which gave us a real insight into what it's going to be like to have multiple days and nights at sea and that that was a really good learning session for us really just to get as close a feel as we can to, to what it might be and just not not being on land for a prolonged period of time conditions we know will be different out in the Atlantic but just the processes of you know, repeatedly getting ready to turn up and put a shift in and then come off the oars and recover well get your sleep when you can eat when you can um, all those things that was um, it was really good through the summer to come out the other side of that and feel like we're that much more prepared for the race start you've actually had quite a good summer with regards to like weather and the, the easing of the lockdown and I guess you shipping the boat at the end of October has actually was actually a benefit because the second wave of this pandemic has obviously picked up over the last three, four weeks, which you guys, I guess, haven't had to get together as much. So you managed to get all of your training on the water done between the two lockdowns. Yeah, exactly. And I think we spoke last time about the fact that the fringe benefit of lockdown, if you can call it that, was that, that a lot of our social calendars were pretty heavily impacted. So what was a fair fairly spaced out training program turned into a very compressed training program certainly in terms of the time that we spent on the water so we were most weekends now looking back it feels like it was every weekend but certainly most weekends we we were sort of down on the boat and we were fortunate to be in a position when the second lockdown came in that we felt actually yeah we are there or thereabouts there's probably a couple of things that we would have liked to have done to get some some more time be it on the water or or together in some other capacity but we feel like we used the time that we had during the summer pretty efficiently with which was really good. Although I think to touch a bit on, you were talking about sort of mental barriers and as Mark said, that that was quite attritional and there was certainly a, a period, we, we had a week where we were together for the whole week pretty much either doing bits and pieces around on the boat or away at sea and then tying that week up with a bit of a meet and greet event that we hosted down at Yacht Haven where the, where the boat was stored in Lymington. And actually there was definitely a couple of weekends before that that we weren't training where I think we all said, Do you know what, it's quite nice to have a bit of a time away, a bit of time with friends and family and those things because you don't realise when you're in it quite how intensely your focus just on one specific thing me perhaps more guilty of that than most sort of get very very swept up in in these things physically wise you're all feeling in a good shape and in good form ready for for the challenge I think we're feeling good. I think um, you're always going to have stuff which feels tight when you get up on a certain morning particularly because we're hyper conscious of all of that stuff right now because it all really matters to us that our bodies can operate in the right way. I'm sure Rory and Mark have got a lot of technical theory that they can provide about why that happens. But certainly we've all found it does happen and other people have reported that a lot. But nothing major, man. I think we're feeling good. As Mark said earlier, we're doing all we can to minimise the chance of injury, maximise things like mobility in anticipation for pushback on the 12th of December. 
has it come in handy having Rory and Mark as physios? Has it helped with regards to if you do have a niggle, how to manage it so it doesn't play on your mind too much? You know you've got that support to be able to iron something out if you needed to? Yeah, I mean, it's been invaluable. You couldn't ask for better, I think, in a challenge like this. I'm speaking very selfishly for a second, especially when we get out there as well because it's about dealing with stuff that happens because our bodies are going to be undergoing more load than they've ever undergone. Maybe with the exception of Rory, who does quite a lot of training load anyway. I think Rory is the only man for whom Talisker Atlantic Challenge will be a deload for mere mortals. It's going to be such an uptick that there's stuff that's bound to happen. And so being able to deal with that is huge comfort now, but I think it will actually be a real practical value when we get out of there. So physically wise, you're all in good shape, good nick, which is great to hear. So mentally wise and mindset wise, how have you guys, especially now you're so close to the start, how have you been preparing and getting yourselves ready for day one? I think in terms of preparing for day one, it's been a case of we actually set out right at the beginning. We were quite good. And and in hindsight, I'm really glad that we did it, is that we, we set out some really clear goals right from the beginning of our campaign about what the campaign was going to be about. And for us, that was doing ourselves justice, you know, doing the fastest possible crossing that that we could do. It was raising as much money and awareness for our charities as possible. And then secret answer C, which was to make sure that we all become high-end social media influencers out of the back. Actually, that's been the, you might have to edit that bit out. Oh, you don't edit that out. (laughs) <laughs> now nah, I can stay in. I think in terms of preparing for day one, actually having that really clear set of goals right from the beginning has been really, really useful. And everything that we've done in terms of getting ready to ship the boat has been really useful for that. I think actually it's preparing for days two to 40 are the really challenging pieces. And we've been doing some good work with our ocean rowing coach, Duncan, who has done some mindset work with us. And we also sat down with Fortitude 4, well, one of the members of Fortitude for Ollie Palmer, who they were the race winning team from last year. We sat down and spent some time with them talking about mindset, which was a really, really great session to go over. What things did they say that you were going to be going up against? Like, did they mention that there was going to be a certain barrier or a certain day that you think that you could potentially have a wobble or a struggle or everyone's different? What I'm trying to say is once the adrenaline of the start of the race has happened after, say, day one, there's going to be pure excitement and pure adrenaline. Two, three, four might be still laboring off the back of that. And then from week two, there's going to be a little bit of a blip where you're going to struggle, but then it will start picking up because you know you've made it to halfway or only got like a couple of days left where the adrenaline will start picking in and the mindset will start running off the endorphins. I think for those things, I think it is very individual largely. And we even found just with our three-day row that the ability to feel good and less so can actually fluctuate pretty quickly through just even a 24-hour period. But I think from talking to lots of people, it's it's more generally accepted that that first week actually is is a challenging one particularly with the potential for seasickness over the first five days and how that will make you feel I think as you say that initial adrenaline surge from from day one and and then sort of coming down off that and also that transition from going from typical sleeping patterns and eating patterns to actually changing and morphing into this ocean rowing pattern and talking to, to someone relatively recently they did it far more eloquently than I am now but they talked about this this blue tack 
And actually, you know, you're a piece of blue tack and you're peeling off, you know, you're pulling at the blue tack to try and make this ocean rower. And at some point that blue tack's going to tear and pull apart and then you're going to be properly in, in ocean rowing mode. So, yeah, I, I think that process can take anything from five to 10 days loosely from what people have said. But I'm sure it's, it's very different for every individual. So when you did your three day training out of the water, how did you find getting used to sleeping on board and sleeping in the cabins? It was a learning experience itself and and it got better as it went on. So initially, day one, you'd just come out of having slept in the normal way. So you were feeling fresh and you didn't necessarily feel like sleeping during the day at all or really taking any cat naps. Then when we got into the first night, then it started to become a little bit more real, right? Because you were getting up in the middle of the night to, to do the road and it got a little bit more difficult. But already after the first 24 hours, it started to get a bit easier. Uh, you started to get used to that polyphasic kind of cycle a little bit. And we all felt physically and mentally a little bit happier than, than we had done in the first 24 hours. And I think it's continued to be a learning process. We, we've done a few nights on the boat rowing, but we've not done many. So it will be a continual learning process as we go out there. And as the guys were talking about in terms of the race itself, typically people talk about a dip after uh, dip in the first five to seven days, which is really quite difficult. And then uh, then things getting better after that as you adjust to the polyphasic sleep, as you adjust to the food and the seasickness and other things like that. And so we should expect our mood to, to rise slightly after that. When we last spoke, you were looking at doing two hours on, two hours off. Is that a still similar plan that you're looking at doing? That's the standard, is that we'll go two on, two off for the vast majority. There will probably be some deviation from that, and that will predominantly depend on on weather conditions. So if we hit unfavourable weather conditions, which in the Atlantic is most likely to be very still, very low wind, then we might have to go three up for a period of time in order to try and catch the next weather system or catch the next load of tailwinds. The other thing that some teams have spoken about previously is is in the heat of the day, actually two hours can be a really long time to be on the oars. So there's a possibility that you reduce the length of the shift. So still going for two people on and two people off at a time, but you might actually reduce the length of the shift in the sort of hottest parts of the day. It'll be something that we have to play with a little bit while we're out there. Seasickness came up a moment ago. Has anyone suffered from seasickness whilst being out there? Where you're training off Leamington, will it be a little bit more choppy where you are training than it will be on the Atlantic? Much shorter kind of choppy waves down where we are in Leamington. I'll jump in there because I think it's best that I say that I'm the, I think I'm the one person that's had a lumpy yawn on board. Although the, the funny thing with it is, and, and it, it comes back a little bit to what we were talking about a moment ago, it's actually, it sounds like a silly thing to say and maybe sounds a bit like an excuse. I've, I've been seasick in the, in the past. I've, I've got no shame in having been seasick. But it was a very odd experience where I think it was, it was early in the morning. I was just coming on for sort of a 3 or 4 a.m. shift. I'd chugged down a protein shake knowing that I needed to get some nutrition in. And I felt fine and then came out on deck actually and got on the oars and then just, just suddenly overwhelmingly felt really unwell and then and then just have this memory of kind of throwing up over the side of the boat and then hearing mark kindly knocking on the door behind me just going oh rory do you want a uh, do you want one of the seasickness patches something i was going to add what mark was saying about the breaking of the blue tack which i've sort of thought about and and think is quite interesting is that one of the big things about our preparation up to now is that we've been playing at 
ocean rowing. We haven't been in a big expedition and every, and all of our behaviours on board have been steered by how do I think I should be behaving on a 40-day crossing? What do I think is the right thing to do on a 40-day crossing? And even that on our three-day row, you were still trying to behave in a way that you thought was going to be sustainable for 40 days. Because ultimately, actually, you could not sleep very well and you could not eat very well. And because you're only out for three days, yeah, you'll be a bit grumpy when you get back, but you get away with it. And I think something that will be really interesting is when you make that shift from, I'm doing these things because I think these things are the right things for me to be doing, to I'm doing these things because I'm into I'm, I'm deep into a campaign now and I need to be doing these things and this is what I found is, is really working for me and I think that's a, a bit like what Mark was saying about the the breaking of the blue tack is that you go from this I'm a land-based mammal that is trying to behave in a way that will enable me to function at sea for a long period of time to being a water-based human that lives on a boat for 40 days. One of the guys in the race, one of the race health and safety guys, a guy called Ian Couch, talks about the fact that ocean rowing is neither a marathon nor a sprint, um, but it's actually a lifestyle. And I think it's when you stop pretending to live that lifestyle and when you start living that lifestyle, which will be the, the, the big moment that you feel like an ocean rower. And, and as Mark said, I think when that change happens is individual for everybody. One thing I was going to mention is that you've been working on your campaign for a huge amount of time now. And you've got your Instagram, you've got your website, but there was that ITV program, Rock the Boat. Did you notice that that potentially got a lot more people sort of interested and wanted to know more about what you were doing because it gave people an insight to life on a boat. I know they weren't necessarily on it for as long as you guys are, but it gives the normal average Joe who doesn't really know much about ocean rowing a bit of an insight into what you guys are actually going to be putting yourself through. Ironically, I don't know if any of us actually watched the programme in, in any great detail, but it definitely off the back of it had more questions, more more people sort of wanting to have conversations about it, which is a cool thing. And certainly, I think even just with the momentum of the race and with it coming up, it's suddenly a few weeks away rather than a few months away. It's been nice just being for friends and family to see that there's been a building of excitement and interest in, in what we're doing. And, and that's brought with it some cool conversations and people wanting to know and find out a little bit more about it. Am I right to believe the boats that were used on that show is the same boat maker that your boat has been made by? It was the exact same model of boat, actually. Those were those were Ranakar 45s that they were rowing. So yeah, that, that'll be what we're that'll be what we're taking across the Atlantic. It's just a good insight for people that don't follow ocean rowing or don't know much about ocean rowing to actually get a bit of a view on what the boat's like and the space that they have and the space that you're going to have to live on for 40 days. Apparently they had a screen to, to use the bucket behind. Uh, somebody mentioned that to me at work. That's uh, not, not a luxury that, that will be afforded, unfortunately. I think that's perhaps a, a key difference. What is quite strange about that is that obviously for us, for the last 18 months or so we've been very immersed in ocean rowing and you forget that actually it's not something that lots of other people have much experience with my instagram feed is probably about 90 percent ocean rowing so i think it is as you say interesting to see that go go more mainstream 
I touch upon the global pandemic a little while ago, but when the second wave slowly started coming up, did you guys start to get nervous about what was going on with the race? Did you think, hang on, there could be a chance here where they might have to postpone it or there might be a time where they're actually going, hang on, we might have to look at cancelling this for, for obviously safety reasons with regards to getting to the places, I guess, is the main thing. Because once you're on that boat, you're confined. So that would have been an okay thing. But it's more of a travel to La Gomera, to Antigua. Are your friends and family still able to go to Antigua and welcome you and celebrate you finishing? What was your mindset going through whilst this new wave was slowly picking up? It's certainly been a bit twitchy thinking about whether we will definitely be able to get to the start line in La Gomera with everything that's happened over the last few weeks. And we've tried to think of plan B's and C's of, of getting there if, if we needed to. But the race organisers have been been great at communicating with us and, and sort of organising different potential scenarios. So, so that's been really helpful. And, and then it still has largely been out of our hands. So without sort of wanting, wanting to sound too cliche, it's been focusing on just what, what's our next task and, and what will be will be. And I think what we've learned over the last eight months or or so with everything that's been going on is actually a week could be quite a long time with this sort of stuff and what what we thought was the reality seven days ago is now very different so we've just been trucking on with the tasks that we know we have to do before we fly out and and then the the pictures just started to become clearer the nearer we've got there and we've had flights cancelled and had to to rebook on different dates and and just sort of been surveying the scene but touch wood and I still sort of try and touch as much as I can when saying it but we're um we're we're due to fly out on the first now and it's it's looking looking good for us being able to to start there I I think one of the shames is that perhaps family and friends might not be able to be out at the start line where they they have in previous years and it would have been nice to had that but I'm still hopeful that lots of people will be able to get out to Antigua Again, and I think in terms of making decisions on that, it's probably just a little bit too early at the moment. Things could change dramatically, especially in December when there's potential rollout of a so-called vaccine, which could completely change the world again. So touch wood, as you said, fingers crossed, everything will fall into place and friends and family can get over there and if not, wave you goodbye can see you come in across that finish line with Blair's in your hands whilst Rory is doing some type of strange pose. <laughs> I don't know what gives you the impression that I might do some sort of strange pose. It's, um... If there's not a picture of you at the finish line on your Instagram of you finishing in some kind of strange outfit and <laughs> flares, then um... I think the biggest thing for me, anyway, about lockdown 2.0 has just been everything. We, there was a point during the summer where we weren't quite sure what was going to happen with the race. And then you feel like you get some kind of certainty around the race and, and we booked our flights and all of the rest of it. And we had a, you had a hard date in your mind where you were traveling. I practiced my spiel a hundred times when people said, sort of, when do you go? And you knew the dates and you knew exactly what was happening. And then suddenly, because of the way that the communication for the, for the lockdown has, has been handled, I remember looking at my phone and, and suddenly somebody somewhere had leaked what the next what this lockdown was going to look like and you're suddenly reading something that's saying oh international travel is going to be banned and it's going to be banned until two days after we're due to fly out and then you're waiting for that to be confirmed you're then waiting to see what the actual formal implications of that are going to be for us and then even after everything was announced we then weren't quite sure what was going to happen until we got the communication from the airline to say 
okay, now your flights have been cancelled. And for me, at least, you know, two or three weeks before, or no, a month or so, I guess it was at that stage, before we were due to travel, suddenly everything was thrown into another level of uncertainty again. And I think that was difficult to try and wrap your head around that. And, and there was a real concern that things were going to be delayed. And, and as, as the guys say, fortunately, firstly, uh, Atlantic campaigns have done a great job of making sure that we will be able to travel in terms of communicating with local authorities and then, then communicating back to us about exactly what's going on, which is, has been really, really, really helpful of them. But it, it, it definitely, suddenly to think, God, we've been working on this for the best part of two years. And now, actually, we don't know whether it is going to be able to go ahead or not or if it does, whether it's going to be postponed, all of those kinds of things. It was, it was a, a pretty, for me at least, as I say, a, a, a pretty sort of concerning time. I was going to say, it must have been pretty worrying and it sows a seed of doubt in your mind, which you can mull over for quite a while until you know what's actually going on. And as you said, it's been a two campaign and plan to then suddenly think that, hang on, could potentially not happen. But we're in a good place at the moment. It sounds like everything's going ahead. You're all ready to go. And at least you can now focus on getting to that start line and putting that first oar in the water. The one thing I was going to ask is we mentioned about family and friends going to Antigua or La Gomera to wave you off or see you in. How have your close family and friends been with regards to you doing the trip? Like, they've obviously been living with you for the last two years of you talking about it, training for it. But now reality is, is that you go in literally 10 days. You start in 21 days or 22 days time. What are your family and friends like now? Are they excited? Are they nervous? Are they worried? I think for me, I had an interesting conversation with my wife yesterday. We came home from work and I was on a call to a lawyer because the four of us were, were putting our wills together, just trying to be sensible, kind of just in case. And that upset Sophie a little bit and, and we had a conversation. And I think what has been for me something that's been very, very real for two years, because I've been living it day in, day out for two years, I think is suddenly becoming much more real to her, where she's been a little bit more distant from it. And I think there's almost more of a transition for her now, going from this is something that's happening in a year to this is something that's happening in a couple of weeks. I think that's more of a transition for her than it has been for me, because it's been something that I've been living day in, day out for for the past couple of years. And whilst she's very, very excited about it, starting to think about some of those more, you know, she hasn't done the mind session. She hasn't had the conversations that I've had with the guys about what happens if these things happen, what happens if these bad situations happen. And so as a result, it's a much more stark step, I feel like. And that was a conversation that we had. It's a much more stark step for us. So still very supported, very, very excited for us. But but I think also probably, yeah, also very nervous and dealing with the realisation, although it's a fundamentally relatively safe thing to do, there are there are some dangers associated with it. And B, also, that I'm going to be away for a long period of time. And, and I think that's a very real thing all of a sudden. And are all of your partners in contact with each other and are they like sort of supporting each other with regards to when you're away that they can touch base with each other and speak about what's going on or tracking you and saying, oh, how are you doing? Obviously, you guys known each other a lot long, but are your partners in a sort of a similar friendship where they can talk to each other about things? 
they're becoming closer and closer friends, I think, which is which is great. And there's a kind of a WAGS WhatsApp group burning up the data centers. So yeah, no, they, they, everybody's everybody's talking, and 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 the girls are lovely, right? I mean, I guess I would say that, but and they've all been really great to each other, and yeah, just looking forward to being all eight of us in Antigua, hopefully with a red snap sandwich in hand. That's what I'm fixated on. But they've been no, they've been a great support network and I think they do all really support each other. They're all very caring all four of them. So that's good because one of the main things is you want is obviously you guys have got to get through do the training and get prepared for mental toughness while you're doing the challenge but obviously you also have to think from another side you need to make sure that your other halves and your families and everything are in a good enough space to deal with while you're away as well so I guess there's two sides of it where you sort of have to not worry but make sure everything's looked after yeah that's exactly right I mean it's just you know ocean rowing I think it's been said before it's a selfish pursuit and I think perhaps even when we had that first idea of doing it perhaps didn't even quite fully appreciate just the wider ripple and impact that that can have on on everyone that friends and family that, that care about you and um, that there's an element of mental toughness and, and suffering that actually you know, people will be doing back here where they're, they're worried for us or won't be able to see us and we'll have to make adaptations about what they do being away at Christmas and New Year you know these are the things that perhaps we haven't had to entertain before so I think those things are becoming very real and it's it's you know almost at times difficult not to feel slightly guilty in a sense that you're sort of you're putting people through some tougher times than they might ordinarily have just because you want to go and have an adventure so you know there's an element of that and they are luckily hugely understanding and, and supportive and yeah certainly it will be lovely the other side to really uh, really make sure that we do, do sort of show how grateful we are for the support that we've had there's a, a nice quote that I've mentioned to the boys before from can't remember the lady's name now anyway but she wrote a book called about emotional agility and, and in that she she talks about the idea that this kind of hardship is the price of admission this is the cost of admission to the club that if you want to be an ocean rower if you want to achieve these kinds of things this is the cost of admission and I said that to Sophie over the weekend and and she said you know that's all well and good but, but I don't get to be a member of the club but I'm, I'm still paying a decent chunk of the cost of admission which I think was was, was a good point well made it must be a hard the guests that uh, yeah they're going to miss you and they're involved with so much but uh, up to the build-up but won't be part of the stories that you're going to have when you come off that boat I guess there probably will be a little bit of probably jealousy that they're not part of it I would characterize it more as I think when there's someone you love doing something that is you know big unknown right being out in the middle of the ocean uh, in a rowing boat which is an unconventional place to be in 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 an ocean and you're not there you don't have any control or means to help the situation you're thousands of miles away. Communication is effectively asynchronous. It's not real time because you can't go on the sat phone all the time because you're going to be doing stuff. So as a result, uh, you hope everything's going to be fine, but you know that there's nothing you can do about it. And I think it's that lack of control or ability to influence the outcome of the situation, I think, which is what's worrying people. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I know that that's certainly the case for, for Lily, my partner, whereby she's looking forward to us having a great time together. And she, she doesn't necessarily want to be part of all the stories. She wants that for me. But what she does want is for this to work out okay, effectively. I don't want to get too dramatic about it, but I think when you don't have that control or influence, then that can have an impact. Especially in this day and age as well, where communication is instant, taking that instant communication away and then being a little bit more Stone Age-esque, where you don't have that instant being able to pick up a phone and go and find my friends and see exactly where you are or what you're doing. Or It is really because technologies are 
advanced so much over the last few years that's going to be again a little bit different i think also that their approach towards risk or again the conversation with sophie was that she was like oh at one point she was like i feel bad that you're going to be scared i feel bad that there are going to be times when there's going to be whatever sees going on or whatever and you're going to be scared and there was it, it was just funny because i sort of said like actually that's what i want that's to an extent what we're going into this for and the you judge that situation from from your own standpoint and i think she was thinking about me being in an ocean doing all of these things from the point of view of how she would feel about that whereas it's very difficult to think about a situation from somebody else's standpoint she didn't want me to be scared or she didn't want me to be sad or she didn't want me to be tired whereas actually all of those things are are the reason that you take these kinds of challenges on. I think that was an interesting conversation to to have. And and I think one of the other things that I would say, again, is that you can't understate the importance of that support network to, to us achieving what we hopefully will be able to achieve. And like Dan jokes about the fact that my training load can, can be a bit insane at times. That's only possible because Sophie is fantastic at basically dealing with a relatively low functioning human for the rest of the time, right? Because I have the ability to invest an awful lot of time and energy in training or, or whatever preparation it is for the road because I've got that foundation to make sure that the rest of my life runs vaguely to plan. And I think you can't underestimate the importance of having that. Like I certainly feel like my input to this campaign would have been massively impacted if I didn't have that kind of support. And I'm sure the other guys would would echo that. One of my big things is support net and support bubble with regards to when you're going into a challenge, overcoming any mental barriers or obstacles. The people around you is basically your biggest asset and certainly helps me through when I go for any bad times. So last thing I sort of want to ask you guys, are there any final hurdles left in the journey before you set foot in the boat and the last time you step on land for 40 days? I think for me, it's almost a little that, that sort of blue tack analogy again. It's almost trying to make sure that what you step away from for a prolonged period of time feels like it's all in order. So, you know, it's sort of making sure you do a good job of handing over at work and seeing some friends and family that you want to before you head out. I think those are important parts aside from the actual campaign it, itself. When we fly out to La Gomera, we'll have a number of um, inspections and briefings that we'll need to to do and, and we're continuing at the moment to to train and, and that will start to taper off over the next week or so so we are certainly there or thereabouts so I think then some exciting stuff starts to happen maybe three days prior to the race where you start to look more in depth at what the weather might be doing when you start and those those few days start to look at some race tactics and some key decisions that we might need to make over the first few days about how many of us row or or what what bearing we're taking and that sort of stuff. And is the route that you're going to be taking, is that pretty much planned out? We, we won't decide the route until just before the race when we see what the, what the conditions are looking like. So I was just going to say, other than that, it, it is just checking off those final few boxes and, and getting out there. One of the other small details as well, I guess, is we all, all need a negative COVID test before we fl- fly out, which is a, a significant thing sort of within 72 hours. Have you all got to go and have a PCR test, have you? Yeah, as part of the travel restrictions to get into the Canary Islands, but also for the race, we need to have have negative PCR test before we travel and then we'll actually have to have another PCR test done before we set off from Lagomera. So yeah, that again, one of the minor quirks, I guess, of, of the 2020 race. 
it, it may be they'll institute it moving forward, but I think that'll be an anxious wait from swab to getting the results back. Because it only takes a couple of days to get your results back, is that right? Yeah, exactly. Are you all being quite conscious of if you go out where and do you need to make that trip? Because obviously the last thing you want to do is get infected. We obviously have the natural restrictions anyway, but I think the more we can sort of limit human contact, if you like, the, the less risk we're we're placing ourselves in. Lastly, before I let you guys head off, just want to give one more push on your social medias. Everyone needs to go and check out your website, www.onshouldersofgiants.net, your Instagram, at onshouldersofgiants. There's lots of information going on there and just regular updates. So it's good to go and follow them if you're not following them already. And again, for also the, the causes that they're rowing for, do one of you guys just want to touch on, again, just quickly on your charities that you're rowing for? I'll, I'll talk quickly about the My Name's Doddy foundation which is a a charity that supports people with motor neurone disease both in terms of helping them to achieve independence but also funding research to try and find a a cure for for motor neurone disease and pursuing independent paths is a charity that supports adults with learning disabilities and and teaches them skills uh, to help live more independent lives so really we're really pumped about supporting both of those charities both great causes both small charities as well so funds really make a difference they don't go into kind of overhead like you sometimes see with some of the larger charities this is this will make a direct difference to the grassroots we talked to doddy the other day didn't we guys Uh, he's he's such a great guy and like real inspiration and just really i think we all feel really privileged to be raising money two really good causes and especially in the world that we live in at the moment every small charity needs as much help as possible and if anyone can help in any way the guys website follow their sort of links to donate but yeah finally all we have left to say is good luck good luck for the first step in getting on the plane and flying out to Lagomera and then good luck for the start of the race on December the 12th which um, is when you officially start your 3000 mile journey from Lagomera to Antigua so I'm I'm super excited for you obviously I wish I could be doing it one day hopefully I will and look we look forward to catching up when you're back and having a bit more of a chat and a debrief on how it went and hear some of the stories that you guys got up to yeah all all i can say is good luck and i'm sure you guys are going to smash it thanks thanks thank you thank you very much